0: We are already at the fourth part and the final part on our series about habits. So if you are here today for the first time, or if you missed some of this, don't worry. You can always go and catch up on our website, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you can find podcasts or videos, YouTube, we are there. Um, But I want to ask you something this morning. They say, and if you've been here before, you've heard this, that by February, beginning of February, 80% of New Year's resolutions has already failed. So we make New Year's resolutions because we want to be better people. You don't make a New Year's resolution that this year I'm going to ruin my life. I make New Year's resolutions because I want to be more fit or I want to eat healthy or I want to be a better dad or whatever it might be. But by February, 80% of those resolutions are gone. Here's the scary part. So by the way, Yolande mentioned it, but if you didn't know, so especially men, listen carefully, Friday is Valentine's Day. It's Friday, right? Thursday. Yes, Friday. Friday is Valentine's Day. So go and buy flowers, go and buy chocolates. If you did something wrong, go and buy a big box. But anyway, by Valentine's Day, just 14 days into February, guess what we're sitting at? 90% of New Year's resolutions gone. So by Friday, 90% People who made new resolutions, 90% of their resolutions are gone. So you might have a little bit left of trying to be who you want to be, trying to add those goals and habits to your life. But I want to ask you this morning, for four weeks, we've been talking about habits We've been talking about how we need to determine who we want to be, who God created us to be before we decide what we have to do. We talk about how to start good habits. So we said, don't make it complicated. You add one good habit to your life, you find the trigger that will help you to add that habit. We said, how do we end bad habits? You don't make it complicated. You end one bad habit. You choose one. You find the trigger so that when that trigger happens that you can replace it with a good habit. So that is the habits, it's simple, but how have you been doing in the last four weeks? Are you up to date with your habits or are you sitting at the same place as 90% of New Year's resolutions where it's just like gone? Let me ask you something else this morning and now I need a bit of help. Who of you would say that you are really disciplined, you're so good with self-discipline? Can I quickly see, who's really good with discipline? No one, okay the Afrikaans are like two people. Okay, who it's say like, ah, I'm okay with it. You know, sometimes I hit it, sometimes I don't. Okay, that's normally the majority. Now, who it's say I suck completely at New Year's resolutions? No one? You know what? Okay, there's one. What I have seen this morning was like couples sitting next to each other, and then the wife grabs the hand of the husband, and she tries to pick it up, and he's like, no, leave me alone. It's like, I'm not bad. And she's like, yes, you are. So we all struggle with it, Right? And my question is, if we already have the tools, if we've been speaking about that for four weeks, how to add good habits, how to leave bad habits, if we make New Year's resolutions, why do we still struggle with all the tools we have to do the right things? And that is our last topic of this series, why I still struggle. And what we want to do today is we're going to look at why do we struggle to implement the things we already know? Why do we struggle to implement starting good habits, to implement ending bad habits? And then once we know why we struggle to it, what can we do to rectify that? And what we're going to do this morning is... We're going to read from the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, if you've got your Bible, you can open. I'm going to, it's also going to be on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And Paul is kind of talking directly about this problem by using the imagery, by using a metaphor of a race that people would run. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. This is what Paul says. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs... But only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadowboxing. I, what's that word? Help me. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear That after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That's what we're going to read this morning. Guys, so um, the games that Paul is talking about was very familiar to the people living in Corinth. So at that shoe shape that Italy makes, like right at the bottom, there's like this tiny part. And Corinth was located right there. On both sides of the city, there was a port. So this was like a major Like back in the day, like a global city. A lot of stuff would come through this, imports and exports. There was a bunch of religions. There was a bunch of things going on. And they also had one of the biggest sport events in the world back then. So back then, the Olympic Games would happen every first year skip a year, and then happen every third year, where the games that Paul is talking about that happened in the city of Corinth was the Isthmian Games, and that would happen on every second and fourth year. So Olympic Games, Isthmian Games, Olympic Games, Isthmian Games. So they kind of rotated. These games were such a big deal that even when Corinth and Athens were at war, the Athenians would get a free pass over the times of the games to come and compete, Can you imagine that? We'd like try to kill each other and then like, but wait, we're going to pause because we're going to run a race first and then we're going to try to kill each other again. But it was such a big deal that everything came to a halt for that game. And Paul says something that we all know, something very interesting. Remember, he uses the race to illustrate a truth about life. And he says in a race, a lot of people run. But even if you go back one step, a lot of people compete to get into the race then a smaller number of people actually are part of that race, competes in and at the end of the day, and he says, but only one win. So if you look at life, it's almost like a whole bunch of people are trying to live their life on purpose, are trying to, to, to hit the finish line. Some of them are going to kind of be okay, they're going to be in the race, but only some, a small amount, will actually hit the target. Only some will win. Only some people will actually stick with their habits. Only some people will actually break with the bad habits. And my question, when I read that, is why do some people win and some people just can't seem to make it? Now, 1993, um, Professor Erickson did a study with a bunch of guys. A study, and you might have heard about this study. Um, He studied a bunch of violinists at the Berlin Music Academy. And they wanted to see what's the difference between guys that just, that doesn't really make it, people who play in the orchestra, in the pits, and then the solo artists, the guys who really are are just a step ahead of everyone else. And basically, it's a long study, but it concluded that on average, the best violins practiced about 10,000 hours in a minimum of 10,000 hours in a 10-year span, with the other guys who do like 2,000 hours. So although this was a much bigger study than just a simple line, in 2008, um, a book came out, Outliers, the story of success. And the, the author, Gladwell, tried to encourage people to make a success of his life. He used the study, and that's basically what he said. He said, all you need to do is you need to have that discipline to continuously do the same thing over and over, and then like the violinist, you would be the best. Today, if you go and Google this, you would just see a bunch of negative things about Gladwell's book. And including Erickson, the guy who did the study, would say that he oversimplified things. And, and why do we say that? Because Custer Semenya and Usain Bolt, I can train 20,000 hours in the next year, in the next, in the next two, uh, two, uh, 10 years. There's no way, and although I'm, I'm quite fast, I'm not going to run faster than Custer Semenya or Usain Bolt. Because they have a natural talent and a gift, right? But if you took... Because there's a on and they only train one hour a week, I can assure you they wouldn't have had a, a gold Olympic medal around the next. So is talent and all of those things important? Yes. But at the end of the day, there's something about doing the same thing over and over again that we cannot beat. It's a principle of life. Craig Ruchel, the um, the pastor, the lead pastor of Life Church in the U.S., he says this, and I love this quote. He says, "Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally." So he says there's something about the consistency or occasionally thing that that will make you either successful in life or not successful. So, it's like if you want to break your habits, if you want to add good habits, you need to do it consistently. If you don't do it consistently, you're not going to be successful in what you attempt to do, but you're going to be the others. And sometimes we are on the successful bracket, right, in some areas of our lives. But I think most of the time we fall into that bracket, other people, because we're just not consistent with the right things. It doesn't mean that we're lazy. Does it mean, do you struggle to add good things to your life and and take the bad habits out because you're lazy? No, it doesn't. Laziness, you could be lazy, but there's a difference between procrastination and laziness. Laziness means there's apathy, a lack of interest. You kind of lie on the couch, you don't care about anything. You're like, I don't want to improve my life. I don't care about right habits. I don't care about wrong habits. I'm just going to be who I am. That's laziness. That's a horrible characteristic of anyone. But most of us are not lazy, but we do procrastinate. And procrastination and laziness are not the same thing. Procrastination is an active process. Procrastination is actively choosing to do something else instead of what I should be doing i got the same smiles that I get now. I got it this morning as well because we all know procrastination, right? It is actively choosing. I'm not lazy. Actively choosing to do something else instead of what I should be doing. So we leave the unpleasant, the difficult, the challenging but important task. We leave that a little while in favor of something that's easier or more enjoyable in this moment. So I I leave that good habit I have to start, I leave the eating healthy for the moment. I wanna do it, I'm just gonna pause a little while because it's really challenging to eat leaves like a goat. So I just grab the donut right now because my brain says sugar is good. So we leave the good thing, we don't leave it completely, we just pause on it for a moment in order to do something that's easier. But there's an Afrikaans saying about procrastination. Procrastination Afrikaans is eight style. So from procrastination, procrastination leads to, a, leads to a place where you just don't do it anymore. And a lot of times, people will be like, but Louis, I'm just not in the right mood. It's Not the right time of the year. In the next year, January, I'll be in a better place, and then I'll start the good habits. You know, I want to be more generous, but once I get the increase, then I will be more generous. You know, I want to serve. I want to do something for my community or my church. Once I'm retired and I have time, then I will serve. You know, Or I want to get up early to spend time with God, but my baby keeps creeping, screaming and waking me up at night. So you know, once my child is in primary school, then I will start doing Bible study. We find these excuses because we always wait for the right mood or the right time or the right thing to tackle the habit. But guess what? As long as you wait for the right time, the right mood, the right everything to get your ducks in a row, it is never gonna happen. There's never a right time for this. But Paul says, you better, you better wake up because you, you are in a race in life and you've got a choice of losing this race of falling behind, of just going through the motions and living an average life, or to win. But something is important. If we want to win, he says in verse 25, we need to be disciplined in our training. It's not just, we don't just win by accident. And what's crazy to me is, he says this is the state, okay? These athletes are disciplined in their training. They eat the right stuff. They they train even when when the weather is not good because they wanted to win a prize. Do you know what the prize was for winning these games, winning something in it? A little crown, no, not of gold, not of jewels, a wreath made of leaves. Like what? It on my head, it looks good. Two days later, all the leaves are hanging, it's horrible. Some historians think and say they might have also earned a hundred drachma, which was about a hundred. Um, one-day wages. So an uh, 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 average worker would get one drachma for a for a day for its wages, and then times a hundred, that's what they would get. So it's a good amount, but it's not significant. You're not going to be a multimillionaire when you win the games. So they did it for something temporary. They did it for the honor. Do you know how many people we remember? If you go and Google the games, there's like one name that, that's still remembered. So even the honor that they thought, like, this is why I'm winning it, even that is temporary. Even that goes to waste. And he says, but the, the, the race of life that we are in, that's not temporary. We are running for something eternal. We're running for something much more. How you're running now determines How your children is going to grow up, how you're running now is going to determine your relationship with God. It's going to determine the life or the death you're going to experience after your life on earth has ended. He says this is about eternity. The stakes are so much higher than they are in sport. And we need to take this seriously. We need to stop procrastination because the stakes are high. So why do we struggle? Because we procrastinate even when we have the tools. But what can we do about it? And there's two things we can do. The first one is, remember why you are training. So Paul says this about, about the church, uh, about the athletes. He's, he said in, in um, verse 25 that they run with, he runs as well with purpose straight for the finish line. This is We have to keep the finish line in mind. That's why our first topic of the series was, Start with that end in mind. Who, before what? If you don't know where you're going, if you don't see the finish line, you're not gonna run like full power. You're not gonna train hard. They don't train because they're like, oh, you know what, today I'm bored, so I'm just gonna run a couple of kilometers, eat healthy you know, and do all the difficulties. No, they train because they've got a goal. They've got a target. They see the finish line. They give their everything because they see the finish line. And he says, I give my everything, I train hard. I run with purpose because there's a finish line. We have to know why we're training. We have to know who we want to be before we decide what we want to do. And when we say, what can I do to stop procrastination, is keep the finish line in mind. Remember why you're doing, why you're starting good habits. Remember why you're leaving the bad habits. He uses another example, and he says, I'm, I'm not shadowboxing. The fights were part of the game. But this is not like modern day karate where you do like a move, you're not allowed to touch the person or like just touch them lightly, and then you get points, and then the one had the best touches, they win. This was like cage fighting. Every punch matters. If you shadow box, if you miss, you wasted energy. You give the other, your opposition, a chance to, to win. You, you give them the opportunity to knock you out, and you're just going to miss it. He says, So every punch matters. Every step that I take in this in in, in this in, in my race matters. Why? Because at the end of the day, life is essentially the sum of all your habits. We heard it in the first week or the second week that 40 to 45% of what you do every day of who you become, the kind of parent you are, the kind of employee you are, the person you are, 40 to 45% of what we do every day is determined by habits. Not by active choices, but by habits. So we have to realize where we're going. We have to keep that in mind, and that will give us the motivation to train. So go back to week one. Go back to determining who God created you to be. Like, but I don't know. Do I even have a purpose? Yes, you have. Because I believe that God creates every single person on earth for a purpose, It doesn't just create us to go through the motions. But that's when we, what we do when we don't have purpose. We get up in the morning. We eat our breakfast. We, maybe if you've got kids, get them clothed, drop them off at school. Otherwise, you just go straight to work. You work a full day. You go back home. You might hit the gym. You eat your, your dinner. You watch a stupid movie or something on Netflix. And you go to bed, and that's it. That's your life. But once you have purpose, all of that changes. We do things differently. We live differently. And I believe that we have purpose because if God created us for purpose, it means that if your purpose has run out, if you don't have purpose, you don't need to be here. And then I believe God will come and get you. So we have purpose. The fact that you're here today tells me that you still have purpose for your life. So don't just go through the motions. Live with purpose. Go for that thing. But the second step, the second thing you can write down, how do we beat procrastination? Is we build discipline into our life. In verse 25, Paul writes that the athletes are disciplined in their training. So these guys had to go through a lot. They spent months preparing. They didn't have all the modern day gyms and equipment and stuff that we have. So whether it rained, whether the sun was insanely hot, they were trained. They would look at the Greek feast and they would not eat everything they want. They would deny themselves certain things in order to eat the right stuff, in order to be prepared for their race. And then Paul comes in verse 27 and he says, "So I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what I should. He's not just saying I'm disciplining my soul. It's not just saying like, you know, I want to live on purpose. I want to know Jesus better. I want to live the purpose he has for my life. So my soul needs to sort its business out. He says, I discipline my body. And it's for a very specific reason. The Greeks believed because of of Socrates and Plato and those guys that our body is kind of like a jail. And your soul is a prisoner of this, of it. So it doesn't matter what's going on in your body. Because it's about what's inside. Paul is like, no, no, no. God created us a complete human being. Our body is also the temple of God. So I actually, it's not just about what I think or what I believe. It's also what I do with my body. So I have to discipline my body as well. Just like the, just like the athletes. And if you want to know, but, but like, Louis, what, what is discipline? This is discipline. Discipline. Is about consistency. It's doing the right thing over and over and over again. Whether you want to or not, whether you're in the mood or not, whether the weather is right or not, it doesn't matter. You continue to do it like those athletes. You get up every morning. You keep working on your one good habit that you're starting. You keep working on your one bad habit that you're trying to end. Guys, habits don't just appear out of thin air. They don't just come They don't just start because you have the genes for that habit. Habits form because we we wake up, we do something, continue our day. The next morning we wake up, we do the same thing, we continue our day. The third day, it becomes automatic, and finally a habit started because I consistently did the same thing, good or bad, whatever I did, over and over again. Habits are born out of consistency, and this is what Craig Grussell, that I spoke about a little while ago, said about discipline. He said discipline is about choosing what you want most over what you want now. If you set a goal for yourself to live healthier this year, it is choosing the healthy piece of meat instead of the one with a lot of fat. It's choosing the green leaves instead of the donut. If you set yourself a goal to be more fit, it is choosing to get up and run the kilometer even though the weather is not great or you're feeling tired. If you set yourself a goal to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus, it is choosing that I want that more than I want to sleep in. I want to spend time with God more than I want to to hit my snooze button, so I'm going to do it. So at the end of the day, you have to know where I'm going, and then you can build the discipline in to pick what I want most over what I want now. But life happens, doesn't it? Like even if I can get over procrastination by keeping my eye on the finish line, remembering who God created me to be, remembering who I want to be, and even when I built the discipline in, here's the problem with discipline, with consistency, is life happens. Outside stuff always has a tendency to interfere with my decision to be consistent. So you made a decision to wake up early, to spend time with God. Guess what will happen? Your baby will have a fever and scream through the night. Or you have this discipline, you decided you're gonna be consistent and from now on, I'm gonna run a kilometer every morning. So tomorrow you wake up, it's in the middle of summer and it's raining. Like what's going on? Guys, the chaos and the unpredictability of life makes it difficult for us to stick to disciplines. Not always that we just procrastinate just for the simple reason of it, but life is sometimes tough, life happens. And that makes it hard. So what I want to do today is, I didn't just want to give you the theoretical part to say, okay, how do we beat procrastination? We keep our eye on the line and we be consistent. I also want to give you practical tools today to say how can we remain consistent? And some of this is behavioral researchers that came up with this. So this is not all mine. There's a lot of ideas out there in the world. These are just four of the ones that I think really matters. So if you're like me, I know life is gonna happen tomorrow. I'm gonna struggle to be consistent because life happens. Here's four things you can do to remain consistent. The first thing is rather reduce the scope than not sticking to your plan. Rather than reduce the scope, than not sticking to your plan. What does that mean? I wanna run in the morning, but it's raining. So I've got a choice to not run. What's going to happen when you don't run? You're not consistent. You're not disciplined. You're going to lose that habit. So what do I do? Instead of not running, I go to the gym and I get on the treadmill. Or I can't go to the gym. I don't have a membership because I'm running. So you go to work a little earlier and you run up and down the stairs. Even if it's just two flights of stairs, that's fine. I don't have to run a kilometer as long as I still do something in that space that lines up with that value. You said, I want to wake up early, I wanna read a chapter of the Bible every morning and spend time with God for half an hour. Baby screams through the night, you're so tired, you can't get up, you just wake up in time to leave for work. So what do you do? You can choose to not spend time with God. You're going to lose that habit. You're not consistent. You're not disciplined. Or you can choose to reduce the scope. So instead of reading a chapter, you open yourself and you go to the YouVersion verse of the day. You can set it as a notification on your screen. You read the verse of the day. You grab your rusk and your coffee. You get in the car and on your way to, to work, instead of switching on KFM or Smile FM, you leave it off and you pray on your way to work. So instead of not doing your habit, you just reduce the scope. So that's the most important thing. If you wanna remain consistent, keep doing it, even if you have to change it a little bit, but do not give up, just do it in simpler form. The second one is, find a way to measure your progress. We spoke about triggers. We said if you wanna do a good habit, if you wanna have a good habit like waking up early in the morning, In order to read your Bible, what's your trigger? Alarm goes off. It reminds me that it's time for Bible study. I want to floss my teeth more, so I brush my teeth. That's a trigger to remember I have to floss. So it's a trigger and it's a habit. This is not about a trigger. This is about a way to measure if I actually did this habit. Because here's what happens if we can't track our progress. Okay, you'll get up, you'll forget to floss. By Wednesday, you're like, oh, shucks, there's a piece of chicken stuck in my teeth, so I'm going to floss quickly. You forget the rest of the week. By next week, Saturday, you're like, oh, I'm going to friends. There's a piece of spinach, so I'm gonna, I'm going to floss again. And then you feel so good about yourself, because I am adding a new habit to my life. I'm flossing. It's like, no, you're not. It just happened like twice in almost three weeks. But you feel good because you're not measuring your progress. So this is where this idea came from. A stockbroker got this job at a small bank in the U.S. didn't have a large turnover, and he decided he's going to do something different. By the first year, he wrote $5 million of contracts, and everyone was like, what is going on? So they did interviews with him, and this is what he said. He said he realized what's the goal. I have to write contracts. How do I do it? I have to make calls to people. Now, if you hate marketing calls, let me tell you who hates it more than you do. The person making the call, I've done it. It's horrible. You don't want to call people with marketing calls. But he knew he had to make calls, and he set himself a goal of 120. So what do we do when we have that goal? We don't want to, so we do five, we like feel good about ourselves because we made some. He did something else. He took a glass, filled it with 120 paper clips. So he would go and sit at his desk, he's like, there's a full glass of 120 paperclips, there's an empty one. So guess what I have to do? I have to get on the phone, make the first call, transfer a paperclip, make the second call, transfer a paperclip. That helped him. He had a way to measure his progress. So every day at 120 calls, he wrote $5 million of contracts that year. So we have to find a measure. So maybe if you're saying... Like I want to read the Bible every day, one chapter. You go to your calendar, you pick a book like Mark, there's 16 chapters, and you say, in one and day two, I'm gonna do the first half of the first chapter and the second half, or chapter one on day one, chapter two. You write it down. Every day when you do it, you just cross it off. So now it's not a habit yet. You're still working on that, right? So now you can measure that I'm actually progressing. You said I want to lose 10 kilograms. You take a container, you put 20 stones there. Each one represents 500 grams. When you lose your first 500, you take that first stone out. You can see progress. You know that you're going somewhere. The third one, promise yourself a reward and not something too far away. So often what we do is like, after I've lost 10 kilograms, I'm going to reward myself. No, no, that's too far away. Let's help ourselves to stick to it. So after I lost my first kilogram, then I'll reward myself. Okay, with what? The donut? That's normally what they say with diets. You know, like after you follow the diet, you've got a cheat day. Come on, what's that? You're just trying to break with the sugar. Now you eat a donut, your brain is like, oh, that's good. Neural patho forms You're back on sugar. It's like, no, no, you go and buy the dress. That that you wanted so long but you didn't you couldn't fit in it. Now you're like, okay, now I'm motivated. You want to read your Bible, so your motivation, your price is not like my motivation. My price is going to be I'm not going to read Bible for one day. It's like, what is that? Now you're breaking your habit. You go back to the bad place. So what do we do? After reading my Bible for a month, I go to Kumbux and I go and buy the most beautiful Bible with the leather leather outer. The one I always wanted, that's my price for sticking to it for a month. So, you encourage your habit through your reward. And the thir- fourth thing is ask someone to do it with you to keep you accountable. These guys didn't train on their own. Paul, who wrote this, was never on his own. Even when he was under house arrest for years, he always surrounded himself with other people. When he went to plant a church, two or three people always went with him. When he went to visit a church, two or three people always went with him. Because we are stronger when we are together. And this is something people don't want to hear, especially in a postmodern time. But the church, part of the reason why the church exists that we read about in the New Testament is so that we can keep each other accountable. Accountability is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I watched this documentary, a CrossFit documentary called Killing the Fat Man. And in the first season, this was years ago, he's going all out, man. He's losing weight. He's getting fit. He's getting strong. He's going so well. The second season, he stopped training for two years. They're like, what happened? He said, I thought I could just do it on my own. And I never realized that I actually needed other people. You need other people in your life. We do it at our community group. Every Wednesday, if you haven't signed up, go and sign up at the connection table. we share our habits with each other that we want to start. We share the habits that we want to end. And guess what we do every week? We're like, how are you doing with that? It's like, man, I didn't do it. And then we can be nasty with you, no, we're not really nasty. Then we will help you to find a better trigger. But we help each other to keep to our habits. Don't do it on your own. Don't do it on your own. So how do I break with procrastination? Remember the finish line. Remember why you are adding habits and stopping habits in your life. Build consistency and discipline in your life. How do I remain consistent? You reduce the scope rather than not do it. You find a way to measure your progress. You promise yourself a reward and you ask someone to keep you accountable. This is the reality of this series. What you repeatedly do ultimately forms the person you are. And Paul knew this. So Paul wrote in verse 27 I don't want to be disqualified from this race. I don't wanna miss the purpose that God has for my life because I couldn't stick to a good habit or break a bad habit. I don't wanna miss out on the beautiful marriage or the beautiful relationship that God planned for me because I can't add a good habit to my life. I don't wanna see my kids growing up and and making a mess of their lives because I was a horrible dad, because I couldn't add a good habit or stop a bad habit in my life. I don't wanna miss eternity with Jesus because I was disqualified, because I couldn't find the time to spend moments with him. Don't be disqualified, because you are becoming someone you never wanted to be, because you're not focusing on starting the right habits and ending the wrong habits. Let's run this race. Let's not just run it, but let's run this race of life to win it. Let's pray. Jesus, you know how hard it can be to stay consistent, to keep doing the right things and keep ending the wrong things. But you were the perfect example. And time and time again, you spent time with your father alone. Time and time again, even when you didn't want to go through the cross, you said, God, I will still remain faithful and disciplined and consistent. And you did it so that we could have life today. I pray, Jesus, that you would teach us what it means to persevere, what it means to remain faithful, what it means to remain consistent. May we run this race of life the way you want us to run it. May we grow closer to you on this journey every step of the way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.